Hi, welcome to Different Matters. On Different Matters, we seek to create a space to center underrepresented voices on a predominantly white college campus. This show is exclusively produced by Cal Poly students through KCPR 91.3, Cal Poly's radio station. Here at KCPR 91.3, our motto is Different Matters. So we are here to honor that motto by having real conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cal Poly and in the greater San Luis Obispo area. We call you, the listener, into these conversations. We invite you to join us with an open mind and a willingness to learn from voices that matter. I'm so excited to be a new host on Different Matters, where we talk about all things diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, here at Cal Poly and San Luis Obispo, aka SLO. I'm Naomi, pronouns she, her, and I'm a journalism and English senior. I'm also minoring in Spanish linguistics and finishing an English teaching certificate. I also work as managing editor of Mustang Media Group. I identify as Chinese, Dutch, and French, and also founded Cal Poly's first multiracial students association. So advocating and uplifting underrepresented voices is close to my heart. And I'll pass it on to my co-host for today, Lauren. Thanks for the intro, Naomi. I'm Lauren, pronouns she, her, and I'm a second year journalism major. I also work as a reporter for Mustang News here on campus. I identify as a first-gen Korean-American, queer, and cisgender woman. I'm also a member of the Filipino Cultural Exchange, which celebrates Filipino culture while welcoming all types of people at Cal Poly. Becoming a part of a culture that I'm not from has been incredibly exciting and educational and has broadened my worldview to so many important perspectives from marginalized communities who are often forgotten in the people of color, also known as POC narrative at Cal Poly. Cal Poly SLO is historically a predominantly white institution, which is classified as having a student population that is more than 50% white. Cal Poly's incoming class in 2022 is the most diverse in university history, according to a press release by the university. The release confirmed that the, quote, highest ever percentages of women, students from partner schools, first-generation students, Asian students, and Hispanic slash Latino students. Yes, we are so happy to see that the university is slowly but surely diversifying its campus. But I do want to say that it still struggles to enroll Black undergraduates at percentages higher than 1%, according to a recent CalMatters article by Mikhail Zinstein. Not one other school in California compares to this statistic. Cal Poly is also situated on the indigenous lands of Yak Tichu Yak Tilhini, Northern Chumash Tribe of San Luis Obispo County and Region, yet only 21 out of its 20,963 undergraduate students identify as Native American, according to enrollment data from 2023. Now, I'm curious as to why exactly this is. Is it a classic chicken and egg problem? Are numbers like these low because people of color don't apply to PWIs? Or is it because PWIs aren't creating a safe enough environment to house its marginalized communities? 
These are just a snippet of the kinds of questions we want to be asking here on different matters. So let's get into our topic for today, people's personal experiences with identity at Cal Poly. As a team, we walked around Dexter Lawn and asked students this question. How have your identities impacted your time here at Cal Poly? For our listeners who don't know what or where Dexter Lawn is, it's a grassy area in the middle of Cal Poly's campus where a lot of students gather to study, lounge, or even have pop-up events hosted by clubs or Greek life. With that being said, let's listen to their responses. My name is Kaladei Ogunfumi. I'm a civil engineer. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out my identity, but right now we're at a pretty solid gay he him. I don't know. I just feel like Cal Poly as a space is not really like catered towards people here. I feel like right now, I was like talking to actually my boyfriend about this, but uh, like we are not the majority and it's like kind of hard to find that sometimes but like i guess like within a majority it is easy to like spot out the minorities and i feel like we are able to like create a more closer and knit space so like sometimes i even forget that like cal poly is not all like me because i have such a like big group of like i guess gay people yeah (laughs) that um i know it makes me it makes me feel seen and heard i like it when i first got to cal poly I met someone and they added me to this gay group chat on like Instagram. To be honest, I only met like one person there that I really connected with. Um, and then we just started meeting people, going to like, um, I think we met, a lot of them were just like around. I don't know, we just, you kind of just, you just, yeah, you just find each other, you see someone like with a sept and you're like, ooh. We all just, we, it was just like, we all just found each other along the way. And I think it's really fun. We all like watch Drag Race on Fridays. I sometimes have like my doubts about being here, but like, I don't know. Right now I'm at a good spot. I was like doing some research cause I don't know. I just, I just looking at like the percentage. I was like less than 1% black people. I was like, <gasps> I don't know. But right now I'm in, um, what's it called? B-A-E-C. Black Academic Excellence Center. And that place is really cool. I think I'm going after there. Um, there's a lot of cool people here. I think it's really fun. It's like diamonds in the rough. So my name is Alexander, Alexander Miller. I identify as a gay white man, which definitely, um, as like a gay man, I definitely feel I have some unique perspectives on kind of the world and how I feel in different situations. Um, but along with that, I know that I have white privilege and male privilege. And so I think there's kind of something that I need to like, not understand my place, but like understand that I do have those privileges still as a gay person even. So especially like in the college of business, there is like a prominence of like, you know, you kind of have the like Chad visual of just like the straight white frat guy. Um, and so, like, that's definitely something that's real, um, (laughs) but I think, honestly, I've, in my experiences, um, I feel like every, most people have been really accepting and encouraging of everyone from their different backgrounds, um, and sure, like, there are probably some people that are still 
kind of being oppressors.、Um, but I feel like the majority of people are comfortable around everyone and encourage everyone to be who they are, and、um, like want everyone to succeed.、Um, so in terms of like feeling tokenized. I've definitely felt that before in high school, and you know that I feel like the most common example of that is like gay best friend, and it's like in high school, like I had this one friend that kind of like used that phrase a lot, and like, and they'd be like, oh, like help me with my style, like blah blah blah, all of this kind of stuff, and like at the time, I think I was just kind of in a place where I wanted to be acceptance,、so、I would just go along with it, but I think now, kind of as I've grown and developed a little bit more, I. You know, would be like, hey, like that's actually like not cool, and like even though you didn't mean to, you know, be hurtful or offensive, like even though like I don't take it personally, just like be careful and like understand like what you're doing by saying that.、Um, and here at Cal Poly, yeah, there have been some instances of that where it's just like if I'm at a party and someone's like, oh, like labeling me as like. I mean, yes, like being gay is part of my identity, but like, there's no need for you to be like, "Oh, this is my gay friend." Hi, my name is Angelo Lacomare Soto. I'm a third-year marine sciences major, and I'm involved with Green Campus.、Uh, we're currently boothing、uh, for a swap and shop that's going on on Dexter Lawn. My family is half of my family. My mother's side is from Chile, so I, I've I've visited and I've lived there、uh, a decent amount.、Uh, so I I I feel like I Affiliated as like Latino, Latinx,、uh, mostly.、Uh, also, my other side of my family is is Mexican and Italian. So,、um, I, I think the Latinx community resonates with me pretty well. So, yeah. So in my major,、uh, there isn't as much re- representation as I、uh, as I was expecting, maybe, or just like as、uh, there could be in other other majors.、Um, But、uh, we're working towards that. I think there's a, an initiative, specifically in marine sciences, that、uh, actually goes to teach high school children in Lindsay, so like very far inland,、uh, about marine sciences and kind of try to get them interested in, in the sciences. And、um, although I haven't participated in that, I think I will eventually. Like next year is another opportunity to do that. So、uh, I think that's very important. Try to get like people that maybe don't even get a chance to see the the ocean、um, to just expose them to it, and maybe they develop an interest in, in like. Boost representation in the field. So, this topic of identities, even overlapping identities, relates to the term intersectionality. According to the Center for Intersectional Justice, intersectionality is defined as a concept that describes the ways in which systems of inequality based on gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, class, and other forms of discrimination intersect to create unique dynamics and effects. To give us more information on intersectionality, the Different Matters team interviewed Julie Lynham, a Cal Poly journalism professor who specializes in multicultural society and mass media, and in media, self, and society. She also is an advocate for social and race justice, and is the co-founder of RACE Race Matters Slow County. Whose mission is to create artistic, cultural, educational, and social experiences that amplify Black voices and matters of racial justice, and raise up slow, 
which also strives to connect and support families of color by building community and offering tools to raise race-conscious children. Intersectionality is actually a term that was coined by uh, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, and she's a civil rights activist and a law professor. And um, in the late 1980s is when she first started using the term. So it's not, you know, something that I came up with, but it's been in academic circles and social justice circles for quite some time. And I don't want to get this wrong. So I'm going to read what Kimberly, how Kimberly Crenshaw defines it. And she defines it as multiple forms of inequality and disadvantage that sometimes compounded themselves to create obstacles that can't really necessarily be explained around conventional ways of thinking about anti-racism, feminism and other social justice frameworks. Another way to explain it would be um, like overlapping identity, social identities. Um, and when sometimes when you have those overlapping um, identities, it can exacerbate um, oppression and marginalization and discrimination for certain groups. And I can kind of give you an example of this. And it's not like some grand theory so much as it's a lens for um, understanding certain problems. So in the class that I teach, um, Journalism 219, I often show a video where Kimberly Crenshaw lays this out perfectly. Um, and the video is a TED Talk called um, The Urgency of Intersectionality. Those of you who are able, please stand up. Okay, so I'm going to name some names. When you hear a name that you don't recognize, you can't tell me anything about them, I'd like you to take a seat and stay seated. The last person standing, we're going to see what they know, okay? <laughs> All right. Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray. So those of you who are still standing, I'd like you to turn around and take a look. I'd, I'd say... Half to most of the people are still standing, so let's continue. Michelle Cousseau, Tanisha Anderson, Ara Russer, Megan Hockaday. So if we look around again, there are about four people still standing. And actually, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I just say that to encourage transparency so you can be seated. <laughs> So those of you who recognize the first group of names know that these were African-Americans who've been killed by the police over the last two and a half years. What you may not know is that the other list is also African-Americans who have been killed within the last two years. Only one thing distinguishes the names that you know from the names that you don't know. Gender. And that was very um, telling because you said this is a, a prime example of how we don't we have frames for understanding violence against black men, but we don't for black women. And that's what the whole say her name um, campaign came about, because we weren't really amplifying the voices of, of co people of color in any case, but especially when it came to black women who've been killed. So that's just an example of intersectionality because yes, they're black people, <laughs> but they're also women. 
but we're forgetting about the gender piece, right? So, and then she also gives an example of how African-American girls are six times more likely to be suspended from school than white girls. Well, that's not just a, a race problem. It's also a gender one. Well, I think that it becomes even more important <laughs> to, to, um, to be comfortable um, being who you are, like the totality of who you are at a predominantly white institution. Because if you don't, then you're going to remain invisible. And, you know, I also talk about the great journalist Maria Hinojosa in my class who says we need to make the invisible visible. And so if you're not out there advocating on behalf of yourself and other people who are at the margins, then um, change is not going to occur. And so um, at a place like Cal Poly, that's predominantly white, where, you know, you're not going to necessarily have... Um, the same visibility then to make it so we have to be out there and there's also there's always a risk in that and I understand why some students don't necessarily want to um be vocal about the multiple identities that they hold you know that's an individual choice but at the same time I feel like if we're really serious about change in the diversity equity and inclusion space then it then it's worth the risk <laughs> I would say um to to, to come forward and, and say here I'm here um you know I deserve the same love and respect and, and sense of belonging as everyone else and um it's just it's just it's necessary <laughs> I would say. I mean, as painful as that might be, it's necessary. If you're interested in taking one of Julie Lynam's classes at Cal Poly, she teaches two journalism electives, Multicultural Society and Mass Media and Media Self and Society. So Lauren, after listening to all those student perspectives, what did you take away? I think some people were like scared. Like I sensed like fear, I guess, in talking about like topics like race and privilege and like when people, I think when people like have to think about their identities, it's just like it's difficult. It's hard to process and like, and like talk about it and put it into words. That's personally how I felt. Um, and I think that also goes along with campus culture. You know, campus culture can sometimes be passive, you know, like, oh, I don't want to talk about that because that's so, you know, serious. Like, like, let's let the other people talk about that. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I felt kind of that, like, 
hesitance when I was talking to people. What about you? Yeah, I think I definitely felt that too. Like people tiptoeing around their the topic and their identity. Um, but also like when we started like sitting down and like really talking to them, I think people really opened up and that was mm. something that was really cool to see. Like something that might have only taken two to three minutes, maybe took closer to 10 to 15. And they really opened up and talked about their personal experiences, especially when we would ask like follow-up questions. Um, so I think in general though, whenever we approached people, they were super willing and super yeah. friendly. And that was something that, I don't know, I really love to see. Yeah, I think um, being in a group helped. You know, it felt like circle time. Like, mm -hmm. let's, like, just all sit down, be mm -hmm. on the same level. Mm -hmm. And, like, like this, like, have a conversation, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And, yeah, I just, I just really enjoyed, like, li like hearing everybody's stories and I think that also like everybody has biases mm -hmm. you know and I felt that sometimes like when I would approach somebody I would expect a certain answer mm -hmm. yeah or like expect a certain type of person and it that was not the case at all you know like mm -hmm. with this everybody was just being themselves and like I I don't know. I guess I was surprised by like some of the conversations, like mm -hmm. or where the conversations led. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but leading into leading into our own experiences, because I mean that did kind of leak into our interviews. You know, mm -hmm. like we were yeah. also kind of talking about what. Um, communities we're a part of mm -hmm. and stuff. I even interviewed one of my friends who's in PCE, the mm -hmm. Filipino Cultural Exchange. Um, so yeah, well, how did you feel about like talking about yourself, you know? Yeah, well, I think like the themes in all of our interviews was like definitely a feeling of isolation. Um, being at a predominantly white university and if you are a person of color it does feel isolating not seeing people like you just like walking around campus um, like in social settings and I think that was definitely something I felt as well being multiracial like when I came here there wasn't a space dedicated for me yeah. and even when I would go to those cultural clubs I felt like am I enough to be in this club no I totally feel that yeah. sorry not to interrupt you no, yeah. do you have more to say um, no, not really, but just, I really resonated with not having a space that was, like, designated for me. Yeah. And I think maybe people feel that more generally with just, like, Cal Poly in general. Mm -hmm. But it felt like even when I was trying to reach those diverse communities, they still weren't for me. I resonate with that as well, like, so hard, because I joined a cultural club, which I won't name, <laughs> freshman year mm -hmm. um and it was fun but it didn't feel like like right I guess like it just mm -hmm. didn't feel like something I would be a part of for the rest of my time here mm -hmm. and it made me really sad because I was like 
I thought this was where I'm supposed to go to like feel like I belong yeah. but I don't feel like like is there something wrong with me like is it is it my fault am I never gonna find like a, a safe space here mm -hmm. um which is why I feel so lucky to have joined PC and felt like such a welcoming presence mm -hmm. even from a culture that I'm not you know a part of like it feels like just so natural to be mm -hmm. a, be a part of that club so yeah yeah I think um I think it's just really interesting like yeah but I <laughs> like um I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say. Yeah. Just the final thing I wanted to say that is just I really love to hear that everyone we talked to like found some sort of community mm. and some sort of belonging um, at Cal Poly that isn't maybe like a space that is super welcoming in general, but everyone found their own little sphere, their own little niche where they could really feel at home and be a part of a family. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there is a place for everyone at Kapali, I think it's just, it takes a little soul searching. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a little vulnerability, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, even though this is a PWI. Yeah. I think, oh, what I wanted to say was mm -hmm. because it's a PWI and so predominantly straight and cisgender as well mm -hmm. like being marginalized like just being marginalized not even being a part of a cultural club like that already in itself is so special mm -hmm. because of the fact that mm -hmm. there's such a majority here mm -hmm. so i think that's one thing that sets how poly apart yeah <laughs> in a good way like i don't want to say that us yeah. being a bwi is a good thing because it's not but yeah. you know what i mean like there but like, is it's easier to good. bond with people yeah over there's like, like a, a silver shared, lining shared experience yeah, yeah. that might be negative mm -hmm. but at least you like can resonate with other people's experiences mm -hmm. like on a more emotional level Thank you for listening to these student perspectives on being at Cal Poly. For more information about the university's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts and initiatives, you can visit Student Diversity and Belonging's website and Mustang News for additional coverage. Thank you for tuning in to Different Matters. Bye! Bye.